This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Some of the discussions featured on this show are technical, while others are higher level. In spite of my best intentions, I skipped an episode. Sorry about that. I was attending New Zealand's equivalent of Burning Man, Kiwi Burn. It was huge, over a thousand people, practically half the country. It went on for a week and put me behind on my interview schedule. But it's the holidays. What do you expect? Incidentally, this episode was recorded in a laundry. Moving right along, I want to shout out for honorary sponsor Josh Stern, data scientist, data experience developer, and web developer. Josh has been helping me with a project recently. He is punctual, flexible, and able to effectively interpret my vague design ideas. It's been a pleasure working with Josh. Anyone who is looking for those services should check out his site, joshstern.info. Juan Bennett is the founder and CEO of Protocol Labs. The chief project under development over there is IPFS, or the Interplanetary Storage Network. I keep hearing IPFS mentioned in the same sentence as Ethereum, so I thought I'd ask Juan what the deal was. Okay, so by way of introduction, uh, IPFS is a decentralized uh, storage system compatible with Ethereum, and it's developed by Interplanetary Networks. Uh, what's your role there? Uh, so we actually changed our name to Protocol Labs. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit confusing. Sorry about that. Uh, and I started the company um, in mid-2014, and we've been developing IPFS and uh, associated protocols. And uh, my goal with Protocol Labs, the reason I started the company was that I wanted a uh, an organization with which to develop protocols like IPFS, Filecoin, and others that we have uh, down the pipeline. Part of the reason I wanted to talk to you specifically um, about the IPFS project is because I keep running into this phrase, uh, Ethereum and IPFS. I mean, it, it just comes up time and time again. And um, I wanted to basically, I know that you've, uh, you've done a ton of interviews, but I wanted to get uh, your take on why it is that those, that uh, your, these two projects keep being mentioned in the same sentence. I think they're perfectly complementary. Uh, so, uh, you know, on one end, you have Ethereum as the uh, platform for doing uh, computing on a blockchain and smart contracts and so on. So a way to do distributed uh, programming in a, in a massive scale, uh, in a trustless uh, way. So, it's, uh, And then on the other hand, you have IPFS, which is this distributed file system uh, that also is decentralized um, and has the same kind of ethos and uh, model for how the computation should be done. Uh, and they just fit together naturally very well. Uh, I think this is the same, though. Uh, it would be the same with, say, Bitcoin and other tech. So I think uh, IPFS also fits Bitcoin really well and other blockchains. Um, I think it's just that the Ethereum community tends to be much more uh, in the like newer tech and uh, has been uh, really thinking through a lot of uh, how to use these systems and uh, is not afraid to like adopt something totally new. Um, like I've, I've, we found some uh, kind of resistance from some of the 
uh, Bitcoin groups. I mean, that's not true across all Bitcoin per se. Like there, there are some companies there that are adopting IPFS and uh, and other newer tech as well uh, that are really great. Um, but I, I, we've just noticed that in general, like when you, uh, you know, if, if you were to pick at random a an Ethereum uh, group or at random a Bitcoin group, in general, it, tends, uh, it seems to me that the Ethereum group will be um, much more uh, in tune with like new tech and able to like pick up new things. Okay, why do you think that is? Do you, do you, uh, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, so why do you think that is? I think in general, uh, just uh, I think right away uh, when Ethereum first came out uh, or was proposed, uh, it attracted the attention of a lot of people in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem uh, that understood the value of the platform. And so I think right away, a lot of people um, just saw the value of, of Ethereum and just uh, jumped on board. Uh, and I think uh there was kind of like a a self-selection there where the people that were interested in in the in the platform and the way of doing things and so on just uh realized that ethereum was a really great solution and just uh chose to to be part of it i think um that's not to say that uh the bitcoin community uh doesn't have a lot of people like that i think it does uh and they they just kind of uh, i think there's a large group of people that are um in bitcoin and and not ethereum that remain so probably because they they invested a lot in in either you know projects that they started uh around bitcoin or maybe perhaps bitcoin itself or or things like that um and so perhaps are less motivated to to uh uh want ethereum to to be bigger and so on um but what i find perhaps most interesting is when people are comfortable with both and they actually um deal and use both in in their applications and systems i think uh we we should be looking at an ecosystem that has uh, both of them, and in fact, more currencies, uh, and they're perhaps used for different things or in different different um, ways. So, what are some of the ways that you've seen people using uh, IPFS, and what is unique about IPFS that allows us to do these new and interesting things? Well. Um, People have been using IPFS in tons of different ways. Uh, in fact, it's uh, an interesting thing. Uh, people, when I tell people about IPFS, usually they ask me, "Hey, well, what's the use case?" Uh, I usually say, you know, that we have uh, really any use case where you have to deal with files moving around in the network. Uh, so something as as broad as that. Uh, when you think about the web, like what is the web used for? Well, it's used for all sorts of applications. It's just uh, uh, a communication technology, right? So IPFS works the same way. Uh, and it's improving on on HTTP and a few other protocols in specific ways um, that, you know, perhaps those use cases that most benefit from that those improvements will uh, be the first to sort of convert. But the goal is to, in general, uh, upgrade the web as a whole. So we are uh, building things such that uh, we perhaps can, could get to replace HTTP the same way that HTTP replaced FTP. Uh, so it's kind of like a next generation uh, communications protocol. And, uh, you know, some of the interesting use cases uh, right now, like I can walk through a few of them. Uh, so the the most basic one is, of course, uh, personal file uh, distribution, right? So uh, people want to help manage, uh, people want to manage their own files and they want to move them around from one computer to another. 
uh, and they can easily add them to IPFS and uh, see them elsewhere. Uh, some uh, a, a better use case perhaps is to uh, host websites, right? So you can take a, a website as it is today uh, and then add it to IPFS, and now you have a uh, a website living on IPFS, which means that uh, anybody who views those pages can help uh, distribute them as well, right? So uh, it has that peer-to-peer sharing of the bandwidth type uh, structure where if you view some content, you can now reshare it to other people. Uh, so as, you, as you're browsing the web, when, you're, when you browse, uh, you can uh, distribute the content that you're browsing to other peers that may be uh, wanting to browse the same stuff. And this is really, really useful for large content, right? So websites that are pretty big, think, of, think about video distribution, right? So some of the most popular media on the web today is, is video, and these are usually pretty big. You can think of uh, them in the hundreds of megabytes, sometimes gigabytes, if you have a, an HD version of something that's pretty long. And uh, you can use um, the network of viewers itself as a way to distribute the content. Uh, so that way you're, you're not... A, paying the, for the bandwidth up front as a distributor of the original content, but also you're not overloading the, the sources, right? And so uh, it makes it a lot easier to implement these kinds of distribution systems for, for content. Other interesting uh, use cases there for, for websites is being able to create a, a website or a web application that can operate offline. So IPFS is offline first, and we... Uh, strongly focus a lot of our efforts into making sure that IPFS works extremely well, even when you are offline. Um, and what I mean by offline there is that you're not completely uh, sort of on your own, but rather you're disconnected from the internet as a whole. Like you, you perhaps cannot reach uh, every other node in the network, but you may be able to reach some nodes in the network. So you can think of this as uh, say that you're in your house and uh, you lose the uplink to the internet, or maybe you're traveling and you can. Um, move content from your uh, personal computer to your phone or something. Or uh, you can think of like an office whose like internet has gone down or even uh, places where just a city loses perhaps connectivity to uh, to the rest of the uh, internet through either some natural disaster or or some other event that uh, prevents the, the infrastructure from, from connecting to the rest of the world. So uh, the whole point here is we are doing to to the web what Git did to version control, right? So in the good old days uh, of version control in Subversion and so on, you users would commit code uh, and would have to be online to be able to like create a commit and push it. Uh, but then Git came about and said, "Hey, let's focus on an offline first use case uh, where people can commit anywhere and just then just update pointers." And that's how IPFS works. It's the same idea. Uh, so you can think of the web and web applications the same way. Like you could be browsing the web and it would function kind of like a mobile app that, uh, you know, once you view a website, the code for that website is downloaded and you now have it in your browser and you could use it even if you go offline. So uh, in, any questions so far? I can, there's other use cases that I would love to cover, uh, but that, those are two so far. I suppose it's uh, it's worth directing any listeners to the interview you did on Epicenter Bitcoin uh, for the actual nuts and bolts of IPFS because those guys are more technical than myself and did an amazing job. Uh, and you know, you uh, that was a really great exposition of the project as well. I felt. 
Yeah, I thought so too. I think it was a, a really great uh, interview. Um, yeah, those guys are great. And I think, uh, uh, yeah, we covered a lot of really uh, good ground into kind of like the design decisions for IPFS and uh, many of the applications for both blockchains and uh, cryptocurrencies in general, and uh, and also just the web as a whole. So very interesting uh, talk. What's uh, I mean something that I found really interesting was this uh, this kind of it's a, it was a very little project called D Lab Book um, that was uh, a few people working on among them Murahir Roy who uh, of <laughs> of uh, Epicenter Bitcoin fame and what they did was they were storing uh, a file in IPFS and then using a hash of that file using a hash and the address of that file uh, as a way of as a way of producing a uh, an unforgeable lab book to present, you know, to uh, to store lab results and uh, and lab notes for the purpose of say patents and um, and just uh, and and time stamping purposes, and that to me seemed like a really simple uh, example of how having a distributed storage system like IPFS can make a fundamental difference to the way something is done uh, today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's it's a great application uh, that shows precisely what we want to do for all uh, all documents and all content on the network, right? So we are reaching a point where we should be we, we know enough about cryptography and enough about how it interfaces with um, with our daily lives and so on in terms of like the the user experience around cryptography, uh, so that we can actually design document systems that leverage the properties in terms of security and uh, you know also confidentiality and and so on to make sure that like our communications are are improved right so it is very useful to be able to check whether or not something has been purged and so hash links are really useful and that way you you prevent you know a whole class of attacks uh, and forgeries and so on I, I mean this this stretches not not just to individual documents that have been forged but to entire websites. So famously, GitHub was brought down last year uh, through an attack that uh, forged a web page. Uh, there was a CDN that was serving content to a subset of users uh, in China. And that uh, all it did was inject some more JavaScript that caused millions of, of browsers to hammer GitHub as fast as they possibly could. Maybe even uh, you know tens or potentially hundreds of millions. I don't recall what the, the scale of the attack was, but it was this massive amount of traffic that was done because the CDN was attacked and it was able to forge uh, a website. So imagine if the creators of the website themselves could have you know provided the the, the assets themselves through uh, a cryptographic hash. That whole class of attacks uh, falls apart, right? And then you can take it one step further and actually digitally sign the payload of the, of the web app itself. And now not only do you have the ability to you know, check that something hasn't been forged, but you can actually uh, ensure that the content was created and uh, distributed to you directly from the source, right? Like you can, you can actually check that the content was signed by the developers themselves. I think this is the, the next step of security in the web. Um, it's, I think, something that we'll be bringing up to the W3C and, and uh, the IETF uh, sometime this year or early next year. Uh, and I think uh, we'll we'll be helping to craft the standards around this uh, because I think it's uh, it's not enough to just uh, encrypt uh, the connection or authenticate the connection. The assets themselves should be authenticated. Cryptography is like cheap enough now that we, that we can do that, and that that just improves security for everyone. So yeah, like uh, the D Lab note, notebook, I think 
was a great example of this kind of use case. Uh, but this extends also to all sorts of stuff like um, just web apps in general or like, you know, uh, legal documents, uh, all that kind of stuff. One thing that I've wanted to understand is the relationship between uh, is your plans for Filecoin and then it's the and Filecoin coins relationship with Swarm, which is a uh, something's being developed at Ethereum, which seems to me at least to be uh, to be pretty much a, you know a pretty similar service. Um, so what's what's been going on there? Do you know, or at least what's been going on with Filecoin? Yeah, so um, I, I know some amount because um, I think we've we've talked about it, and I think at DevCon. Uh, lots of people came up to me and, and to talk about this kind of thing. I, I don't know exactly the history uh, from the project itself, but I know that uh, Ethereum needs a way of distributing files and being able to address content and so on. And so that's where uh, the conception of the Swarm system came about. And I think in general, uh, they're pretty complementary. Uh, at least IPFS and Swarm are really complementary. think, and I'm not sure if this is still the case, but I... I pretty sure that uh, IPFS will be used by Swarm itself. So Swarm will actually layer on top of IPFS. And so when you distribute content with Swarm, uh, you'll actually be using IPFS uh, and then and an IPFS node and so on. It's not clear to me yet whether that will be a separate IPFS network, you know, kind of like a uh, IPFS allows you to be able to, you know, segment your own networks on, and so on. Or it will be the main one that we, we also participate in and, uh, and run. Uh, this matters merely from a perspective of like what content you're able to access. And uh, in terms of uh, Filecoin, I think, uh, so that's where I think what people, what the projects actually do start to overlap, right? So I think uh, Swarm also wants to, to create this uh, incentive structure around distribution of, of files, and that's uh, precisely what Filecoin is. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what the plans uh, are on the Swarm side at all. Uh, we're developing Filecoin for a number of reasons, we need we need have some constraints around the the consensus of the of the protocol that makes it so that it needs to be so the so the full implementation of Filecoin uh, will need to be its own chain, like its own blockchain. And we have some some constraints around the consensus uh, that uh, make us do that. Uh, but we may actually use uh, a lot of the Ethereum stuff, so it would be very very useful to be able to reuse a lot of the great work that the Ethereum community has been has been creating around it. And there will certainly be ways of, of interfacing between the two systems. Uh, so we'll have ways of using Filecoin in Ethereum contracts and probably vice versa. Uh, so there'll be, there'll be tightly coupled. I think there is a, uh, an even earlier interfacing point where people have been requesting, um, people have been coming to us and requesting that we write uh, an incentive layer just for IPFS content, like a really, really basic one, uh, because it's in demand now, even before we ship Filecoin. Uh, because full Filecoin will take a, a while to to ship out. It's, it's, a, it's a big project. So people have been asking that we just release something now that's smaller just to, to help them get going. Uh, so we, we might do that. I don't, um, I don't know. It's the sort of thing where uh, we have our, our, a large number of goals and we're, we're moving in that direction. And uh, we want to be as, as helpful as much as we can and, and deal with the demand. Uh, and because this has large demand, then we may, we may do it, but uh, it depends on, on our timelines and so on. Of course, yeah, because you've been, um, 
Well, I mean, it's taken so long to set this interview up. I, I can tell you've been really busy. Is there anything else that you want to uh, that you want to cover and you know and get out there? Uh, kind of how to use IPFS uh, in in general. Like what what do you get out of being able to to do Merkle linking and and that kind of stuff? Another is IPLD, which is a, a serialization format that we are adopting uh, very shortly. We're we're improving our our the system. And this will make it way easier for people to to create uh, pretty sophisticated web apps using Ethereum and IPFS, and and make it much much easier to store uh, data in you know traditional typical JSON structured or object model uh, structured data in IPFS to be used by Ethereum contracts. Another thing that is worth mentioning is uh, we've there's been an effort around doing. A lot of communication platforms, so forum posts, like forums, chat rooms, and so on, uh, that use Ethereum or like use an identity service uh, around Ethereum. And, and so I'm specifically thinking of Uport uh, by Consensus, which is, I think, a really good good solution that's emerging. And so there's there's some stuff, interesting stuff to talk about there. There's package managers, so these are it's more for the developers, but. Package managers are a really, really great use case for IPFS, and we're starting to replicate large package managers directly in IPFS. So we just did this with NPM, and we'll be doing it with others. Um, so it might be useful to think through uh, what would a package manager for Ethereum code itself look like uh, on IPFS. Uh, well, I was just thinking. Um, so how is Uport utilizing IPFS? Is that how it's storing its? Um, is it storing the uh, the yeah, the hashed identity information? Uh, using your network, yeah. So the the content, the Uport content itself, is stored uh, on IPFS. So it's uh, structured as JSON and then it's added to IPFS, and then the root hash that represent pointing to that uh, JSON then is is used in the contracts and pointed to by the so an Ethereum address points to a hash, an IPFS hash, and that hash has the rest of the content. So you store the um, the IPFS ha- uh, hash, which is an address, which doubles as the address, and also ensures the um, ensures the integrity of the content, right? And then you store that in a in an Ethereum contract that is then called to return that information when you uh, when another contract say uh, requires it. Is that am I on the right track there? Yep, that's right. That sounds so astonishingly simple. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how the um, EVM is able to access some of that data. You'd have to ask Christian about that. But yeah, that's that's roughly how, how it works. I, uh, it may be that the EVM only um, handles the hashes and then an application around it uh, reads the transaction and is able to uh, take that hash, query the IPFS network, and then pull out the data. Yeah, because it seems as a layman, you know, I mean, because uh, I, I am absolutely a layman, uh, it sounds like it's very simple to... Uh, to query the uh, the IPFS network, and one question that uh, that I have written down and kind of uh, and crossed out quite quite definitively <laughs> was, which I may as well read out now. This seems so simple. Why is it so hard to uh, to build this kind of thing? I mean, you know, from the way you talk about it, it seems like something that you could smash out in a weekend. Um. Yeah. So I mean, I think uh, I think they they did. I think uh, Uport was has been made like uh, pretty quickly. Um, the this part of it at least uh is pretty straightforward i think uh other parts around it are are more complicated uh what about uh, what i'm referring to is uh ipfs itself 
Oh, um, you mean like uh, actually like implementing all of this stuff? Yeah. Oh, that that is that is difficult. Uh, getting that to work correctly is non-trivial, uh, particularly with the constraints that we have. So, for IPFS itself, we have a number of constraints around uh, what the system is able to do, uh, what sort of dependencies it's able to to rely on, and so on. Like for example, uh, the network should be self-reliant. Uh, it should not have to depend on any kind of centralized thing at all, uh, and it should be able to to self-heal if if a large number of Notes disappear, for example, uh, the routing table should be fixed and so on, like typical peer-to-peer stuff. Uh, but additionally, we have constraints around how long we want the, the system to be in operation, right? And this, this affects uh, our choice of hash functions, for example, right? So we have uh, formats like multi-hash, which allow us to swap out the hash function and use a, a, another one once SHA-256 gets broken. And so on, right? So there's, there's a lot of engineering work that goes into making sure that the, that the protocol uh, is good enough to stand the test of time uh, and will be around uh, and re- people can rely on it for all sorts of applications, right? So I think uh, one of the things that sets up IPFS apart from other peer-to-peer systems is that we have an uncompromising l- level of of really thinking through the use cases uh, in full and understanding the user's constraints and why one group would ha- would have to require certain capabilities or certain features uh, and making sure that they have them. When you look at a lot of peer-to-peer systems, they're they kind of work. They're more directed towards one a singular use case, and they work really well for that use case. Uh, but once you start pushing them outside of that boundary to something else, uh, they don't work as well because uh, they either have it's impossible to graft on certain features, or just don't don't uh, aren't well set up for it, or you know lots of things like this. And, and uh, we're taking a lot of our learnings around that uh, of how to build peer-to-peer systems such that they can be used in in vastly different use cases, which really boils down to you have to be able to use different kinds of protocols uh, to solve different kinds of problems uh, and do so in a cohesive manner. Uh, and we're creating like this modular library called libp2p that is basically the whole network stack for IPFS. Uh, and we, we are making it available for any kind of peer-to-peer system that wants to participate in, in using that and, and helping us out to develop it. On a, on a high level, so one really good use case for uh, blockchains and Ethereum is uh, any kind of off-chain data. So uh, large documents, uh, large media, and so on. Uh, IPFS is really good for this. Uh, so people can just add the content to IPFS, and then they just address address it on, in Ethereum. Um, and this actually, uh, the one good th- thing about this is that a lot of other projects are starting to use and adopt IPFS, uh, which means that if you have an application and you're using Ethereum uh, and you have your content on IPFS, then that makes those those other applications able to use your content as well, even if those applications know nothing about Ethereum or, or don't use Ethereum yet. Uh, so it's a really good way of um, making of or like interfacing with other systems. Uh, so IPFS is kind of like a, this uh, way of interfacing with other other networks. And so you can think of this both as a you know cross blockchain. Say you you can address the same data in Bitcoin and Ethereum or whatever. Uh, and it also works across, you know, industries, right? Like, so so going away from blockchains for a moment, uh, there are package managers that will, uh, that are starting to look at IPF, using IPFS links, uh, which means that you could uh, do like code signing on Ethereum itself or, or, or uh, paying people for developing code uh, if a binary appears or something. Um, 
and you, you, you're using the same kind of addresses. So it's, it's a way of using like a, a URL or a URI, um, but it's through, through a cryptographically secure system that, uh, you know, is meant to be permanent and so on. Uh, one other use case that I just uh, remembered is uh, being able to, uh, when you build a, a DAP in Ethereum, you have a whole bunch of code and so on. And sometimes those dApps are uh, part of, I, I'm not sure if they're on the Ethereum chain or outside of it, but uh, if they're outside, any kind of assets and so on that you need uh, for your application, like you can put all of that on IPFS. And that way you don't have to run that infrastructure. You just have to make sure that it's available somewhere in the network. And that's where uh, Filecoin uh, uh, will come in. You'll be able to like just pay for, for that content to be around. Right, because storage on the blockchain uh, is so expensive. And even running the... Um Others just earlier today experimenting with some of the tutorials that Alex van der Sand um, has put on the official Ethereum blog, which uh, I recommend to everyone um, who probably heard me talk to him last week, <laughs> even though that was just this morning. But uh, yeah, the uh, I looked at the gas costs and the transaction costs of uh, executing some of these contracts, and they're quite high. And I bet if you could have a co- have a contract that referenced a uh, that referenced an IPFS address, you could save a ton of that overhead by executing or, you know, by calling the, uh, the data from, uh, from outside. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm misunderstanding the way the, um, the system works. Yeah. Yeah. You should be able to do that. Uh, the one thing you also need to do is make sure that some nodes are replicating your content. And that's where, um, yeah. So, like I said, that's where Filecoin will come in or the Filecoin light that I sort of described, uh, where, uh, it may be like an Ethereum-only uh, smart contract around uh, storing data on IPFS. Because IPFS is um, like this Merkle tree transport type of thing or like Merkle structure transport, uh, it can be used to build blockchains themselves and to represent blockchains. So one interesting point of interface is to actually think about the Ethereum chain as a whole. Uh, being on top of IPFS. And this is uh, something that's very interesting and that uh, I've been actually talking to uh, several people in the uh, Ethereum community about uh, for quite some time. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll be looking at it uh, in the long run. I don't uh, think it makes sense anytime soon, but uh, in the future, it may be that uh, the entire state, uh, both the state tree and the blockchain itself um, could be writing on top of IPFS, uh, which might be pretty useful to gain adoption in, in in networks uh, that may may ship with IPFS but don't know anything about Ethereum, but then suddenly are able to reference Ethereum blocks and, and replicate them and so on. Now, if you just had the Ethereum blockchain represented or addressed on the um, on the IPFS network, then you would just anyone would just be able to reference that, wouldn't they, and uh, and access the the chain that way? Yeah, exactly. So it makes it extremely easy for to write uh, light clients or small applications that manipulate the uh, the chain itself or like query content in the in the chain. Yeah, right. That'd be really awesome, eh? I wonder what about um, wouldn't that be a potential risk for incentivizing uh, people not to run a full node? Uh, well, that would be the same as you know. Eventually, people will write APIs around uh, some of these. Uh, some you know people write an API around the Ethereum chain, and you'll be able to use that API. Uh, and so, yeah, for some set of people, like they might just do that instead of replicating the entire thing. Uh, but I think people are pretty aware that if you don't replicate the chain, the system doesn't work. So um, ultimately, the miners have to replicate the whole thing. 
Uh, and if they're not replicating it, then uh, they're, they're putting them, they're themselves at risk. Uh, so it is already the case that, for example, in Bitcoin, it's already the case that the large pools and so on, um, you know, oftentimes they don't really need to have the entire uh, blockchain themselves. They're just mining what they're given by, by some controlling node. Uh, and that's uh, definitely a, something problematic for, for blockchains, or at least the security model of, of blockchains. Uh, but it's not something that you solve by, um, but, that, but it's not something that IPFS creates. That, that problem already exists. Um, IPFS just makes it easier to access the, the chain in, in other kinds of settings. Uh, this can be turned on, on its head, though, and it may be actually that IPFS nodes can be used to help replicate the chain. Uh, because if you, if you structure the entire Ethereum chain on top of IPFS, then you can take any IPFS node and convince it to, to help replicate the chain itself. So if you have a bunch of IPFS nodes that are replicating a certain amount of content or, or they're, they're um, happy to, to back up some of your content, uh, they could help replicate uh, the, IPF, the Ethereum chain itself. And we're actually looking at a whole bunch of archives. Um, so right now we're, we're doing a whole bunch of work with uh, putting archives of scientific data, uh, both papers and, and the actual you know, large gobs of data, uh, onto IPFS itself and using IPFS to move these archives around. And we're, we're talking about creating these um, kind of communal uh, repositories of sorts uh, between, you know, cross-organizations where they replicate each other's data. So you can think of the same thing with, with Ethereum, where Ethereum could, the data that represents the Ethereum blockchain could then be replicated extremely easily to all of these other nodes uh, that don't need to uh, run something more complicated or don't need to get into that. It's just a matter of you give them a hash and then they download and replicate that. And I suppose that would make, um, for places that have, say, poorer, connect, poorer internet connectivity, uh, New Zealand, it, would, it might make it much easier to download the, uh, to download the blockchain where in, in more remote areas. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, where can people find out more about all of this stuff and uh, where can people find out about you and kind of um, and some of the uh, some of the projects that you mentioned uh, today? Yeah, so uh, people can uh, find us uh, by just searching for IPFS. You'll find IPFS.io is the official website um, and we have a really active GitHub community. So there's tons of projects. Uh, there's a big project directory in the main repository. So github.com slash IPFS slash IPFS is this um, project directory of sorts that has links to all the other efforts that we have. Um, and so we're pretty active there, and we're also very active on IRC. So we have a channel on Freenode. Uh, it's Pound IPFS, and people can join us there. So yeah, we'd love to hear you know, if people uh, get interested and want to check it out, go to the website or come find us and, and help out. Thanks again, Juan. Show notes, credits, and links can be found at letstalkbitcoin.com and on Twitter at EtherReview.